Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Speaker Pelosi moves all steam ahead for the impeachment inquiry. And just 14 minutes ago, the New York Times reporting that President Trump pressed Australian leader to help Barr investigate Mueller's inquiries origins. This is now a breaking new development. This, as Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, according to the Wall Street Journal, was first also now on that Ukrainian phone call from all of those months ago. So we have a lot to get through uh, that's breaking as we speak. And we've got two uh, political all-stars to help us through it. James Homan, national political correspondent for The Washington Post. He's also the author of The Daily 202. I can't wait to read it tomorrow morning, James. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor, who is we stole her away from the Bloomberg terminal to help us sort through all the craziness of this afternoon. So before we get to all, all of that, here we go, folks. You ready? You ready for this? Because we've got a lot of breaking news to uncover. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the first part of the show catching you up to speed on the latest headlines that have come out this afternoon regarding the impeachment inquiry. And there are a lot of them. Then we're going to talk about the congressional implications, pivot to 2020, and then see what's on the panel's radar. Just within the last 14 minutes, the New York Times releasing a bombshell. The headline, President Trump pressed Australian leader to help Barr investigate Mueller about the inquiry's origins. Reading from Mark Mazzetti and Katie Benner's story, quote, President Trump pushed the Australian prime minister during a recent telephone call to help Attorney General William Barr gather information for a Justice Department inquiry that Mr. Trump hopes will discredit the Mueller investigation, according to two American officials with knowledge of the call. My guest with me for the hour, James Homan. He is a national political correspondent for The Washington Post. He is also the author of The Washington Post Daily 202 Morning Newsletter. It's on my must-reads. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor, who we've stolen away from her desk to stop editing for a second and help us sort through this. All right, let's begin with the Australian call, James Homan. You put this into context with the Ukrainian call, what does it mean for the impeachment inquiry? Yeah, Kevin, it means that this is not an isolated incident. This is another example of the president ostensibly purportedly urging a foreign leader to help advance his political aims. In this case, there's this ongoing investigation that the Justice Department has that was ordered by Bill Barr. One of the first things that he did, one of the top priorities of the president, which is to essentially investigate 
the investigators and to look at the origins of the Russia investigation. And part of that is how the FBI was initially tipped off that uh, George Papadopoulos, the the foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign at the time in 2016, was telling foreign diplomats reportedly that he that the Russians had dirt or that there were Hillary emails out there. And so the, the this is about getting the Australians to help the Bill Barr investigation. And and so the, it, it appears, based on the Times report, that Trump was pressing the Australians to help the Barr inquiry and, uh, and that that help was forthcoming. According to the New York Times, a Justice Department spokeswoman declined to comment. A White House spokesman did not immediately respond to a request for comment, nor did a spokesperson for the Aussie prime minister. Continuing with the Times report, in making the request... President Trump was, in effect, asking the Australian government to investigate itself. Anna Edgerton, I'm struck by the developments of last week when you had the transcript of the Ukrainian call come out and then you had the whistleblower complaint and this development that there was a change in in federal government policy to have several of these calls on a different type of server. And we, we got the development last week that there were other calls between President Trump and other world leaders that were on this server. Now we have the Aussies. Absolutely. And that was one of the concerns when we first saw the initial whistleblower complaint was you see how allegedly this server was used for reasons besides national security. So there there is a separate server that goes that is only accessible to a small small group of people and that is to protect sources and methods, intelligence gathering, you know, issues of national security. It shouldn't be to protect the general public from the president's political missteps, which appears to be how it was used this time. So one question we were That's asking ourselves when we saw this initial Ukraine complaint is, is this an isolated incident or is this a pattern of behavior? And if it's a pattern, what other calls would fall into this category? James, she said said political missteps. Are political missteps impeachable? Because that's what this is all going to come down to. The the question is what there, I mean, there are a lot of potential issues that he's running afoul of. uh, But you know, the CNN had some reporting over the weekend that they also put away calls with Vladimir Putin in this system, which, again, is usually, as Anna was just saying, for kind of covert, code word classified, you know, operational details. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the conversations that Trump had with him after the murder of Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi a year ago this week. And, and so to your question of whether that's impeachable, it depends partly on what was said, but it also depends on the intent of doing this. In order to put things in this secret system, uh, you have to have a senior administration person yep. ask for it. So the White House Chief of Staff, the National Security Advisor. And by all accounts, it seems that the reason that they put them in these systems was to prevent people in the intelligence community from knowing that Trump was was prodding uh, them to potentially, if if he was trying to advance his own personal interests or political interests, then that could be very much an impeachable offense. James Homan's here. He's national political correspondent for The Washington Post and author of The Post Daily 202. And I can't wait to ask him coming up about the Republican messaging around all of this because they have such a tight, tight rope to walk. And you go into it on today's edition with regards to that. But all right. So the Australian call, that was the big bombshell that just got broke by The New York Times within the last half hour. Anna, now we know that on the Ukrainian call, do we have like a notebook of all these different calls we're going to have to be talking about? 
Uh, on the Ukrainian call, we now know that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, according to the Wall Street Journal, which reported this today, Secretary Pompeo was on this call. And there seems to be from the Sunday show new from the Sunday shows as well as on Friday this developing narrative or storyline or I hate using those words but questions about whether or not Rudy Giuliani and the State Department are on the same page. What does Pompeo being on the call mean for that? But there are a few administration officials that are in a difficult position. No one more so than Mike Pompeo, Secretary of Defense, or excuse me, Secretary of State, and. Um, and uh, Mitch McConnell, I'd argue, but go ahead. No, and Bill no, Barr. William Barr, yes, thank you. William Barr, the Attorney General. Take your pick. Yeah, so, this really is a double whammy. These yeah. two breaking stories do. You're yeah. absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, you had apparently Trump on the phone call with Zelensky, Pompeo listening in, talking about uh, allegations that he wanted his Attorney General and his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, to investigate. So, it's going to be really interesting to see for Pompeo how he responds to the subpoenas from the House committees that were issued last week. So, folks, if you're just getting in your car on your way home from work, one, there's an Australian phone call, according to the New York Times, in which the president raises political implications about the Mueller report. Two, Pompeo was on the Ukraine phone call, according to the Wall Street Journal. And three, House has issued subpoenas for Rudy Giuliani. What does it mean for the impeachment inquiry? It means that we're headed full steam ahead to the House getting closer to introducing articles of impeachment. All of that has the question, begs the question, what, is that, what does the Senate do with that? Well, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was on CNBC earlier today, and he says that if, if we get to impeachment, and they send it to the Senate for a trial, he's going to have a vote on it. Here's Mitch McConnell. It's a Senate rule related to impeachment that would take 67 votes to change. So I would have no choice but to take it up. Uh, right. How long you're on it is a whole different matter. But I would have no choice uh, but to take it up. He has no choice. He says that he doesn't know how long it will take. Well, coming up, we are diving into the congressional politics of the impeachment inquiry. James Homan stays. Anna Edgerton stays. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We could not ignore what the president did. He gave us no choice. So it wasn't any change of mind. I always said we will follow the facts where they take us. And when we see them, we will be ready. And we are ready. Speaker Pelosi says House Democrats are ready. She made the remarks in an exclusive interview with CBS News's 60 Minutes on Sunday. That interview aired on Sunday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. With me for the hour, James Homan, National Political Correspondent for The Washington Post and author of The Daily 202, one of my must-reads every morning with regards to getting a not even just the developments of the news, James, but you put it in context, and I'm going to prove it for our audience coming up in a second. But Anna Edgerton is also here, Bloomberg News Politics Editor. Anna, House Democrats, we were just talking earlier about there's this now drip of headlines. They've issued subpoenas for Rudy Giuliani. Uh, we learned from the Wall Street Journal today that Speaker, or I'm sorry, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was on the Ukrainian phone call in question. 
And now the New York Times is reporting that the president raised political questions to the Australian prime minister. Are House Democrats ready to impeach the president? Yes, I think they absolutely are. When? It's, it's just a matter of how we get there. You know, I, we definitely see momentum for that. And I think that's one thing that they are trying to prove during this two-week recess by issuing these subpoenas is that members may be back in their districts talking to constituents and trying to sell this to the American people. But the committees, you know, the Intelligence Committee is here in Washington. They're doing their work. They're bringing people in for depositions and they're issuing subpoenas. And part of that is to move towards articles of impeachment by the end of the year. They've been saying November. We've heard some saying December. But I think there is a big kind of desire to wrap this up this year before we get into the election. I mean, so much has been talked, Anna, about President Trump. But can you imagine the the flack that Speaker Pelosi would get from AOC and that crowd if she didn't impeach? Yeah, I think at this point... I mean, she'd be an ineffective speaker of her party, no? So she had no choice politically but to do this. Well, and and she promised that she would. And it, it was these new allegations. And was the, it the new allegations and also a lot of her moderate kind of frontline members saying that they were getting behind this? She always she said something really interesting when she was first elected speaker about impeachment. She always said, you know, you don't impeach for political reasons, but you don't not impeach for political reasons. And I think we got to the point where not impeaching was clearly a political calculation. She would be worried about the political impact. Right. And she just believes that now it's the constitutional thing to do. What's she going to do if, like, and I mean, I know I hate, we're all reporters here and we hate doing hypotheticals. What's she going to do if they bring articles of impeachment, though, and it fails to get a conviction in the the Republican-controlled Senate and, like, a Russia-Putin call comes out, Anna? So I actually think that might be best-case scenario for, for Pelosi because... If the House impeaches and the Senate doesn't remove him from office, then you have the election in 2020 to kind of relitigate this in the American people. If the Senate does remove him from office, that is going to be so divisive. That's going to be so controversial. We don't even know if he would leave. You know like, what I learned? Okay, wait. Well, let's not. I, he, <laughs> you know what? No, no, the better places. question, not to Kurt, but I don't want to get into that world. But you know what I learned today? He could run again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Could, he, could, he could be convicted and then still run in absolutely. 2020. All right. James Homan, The Washington Post. The Roy Cohen playbook. That's the playbook that I haven't heard this since. Uh, this is why you're very, an incredibly smart journalist who I look up to. No BS. Because I haven't heard that name since the campaign trail. And you <laughs> write today about President Trump following the Roy Cohn playbook. Who is Roy Cohn? And yeah, just Kevin. lay that out for us. Tell yeah, that so story. Roy Cohn first became famous here in D.C. in the 1950s as chief counsel to Joseph McCarthy during the red baiting witch hunts. Those were really witch hunts. And then he went to New York and became a lawyer of some renown. Uh, worked for the mob, among others, and uh, took on a young Donald Trump as a client in the late 1970s. And what was going on in the the, 70s? He first became uh, Trump's lawyer when Trump was being sued by the Justice Department, uh, the Jimmy Carter Justice Department, for racial discrimination in the family's rental units. They were not renting apartments to African-American tenants and, and there was pretty strong evidence of that. They ended up uh, fighting it for years. Roy Cohn's perspective was always never give an inch, deny everything, counterattack, and accuse your opponents of whatever you're being accused of. And we've seen that for Trump's whole career. That's, that's how he fought the Justice Department in the 70s. It's how he fought 
the Justice Department uh, the last few years when when he was being investigated by Bob Mueller, and it's how he's responding to this whistleblower uh, complaint, which is he is not giving an inch. He continues to maintain, including this afternoon in the Oval Office, that it was a perfect phone call, even though we've seen a rough transcript and summary of it, which shows that it was not perfect. <laughs> you know, he, he, he I think, has, is, believes that if he can just state forcefully and repeatedly enough that, that it's not what people think and see, uh, that he can sort of change the conversation we, or muddy the waters. And James Homan of the Washington Post, who were talking about uh, the tactics that the president needs to utilize in order to keep the Republican Party uh, behind him, really. Uh, we, we've seen, I mean, I haven't found any Republican senators who have said that they're going to vote to convict the president should it get to that. We heard from McConnell insinuate that it would be a very quick type of trial. But we also saw over the weekend on the Sunday shows, as you point out, some Republicans who had grown uneasy with with the Roy Cohn strategy. Case in point, Congressman Adam Kissinger. Yeah, so I think there were two interesting things that happened on I Sunday. I like the Kissinger one, yeah. Okay, yeah. So the so Adam Kinzinger, uh congressman from the Chicago suburbs. He's a war hero. He's a he's a war hero. He was a pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he uh, was was upset last night. I mean, the president was tweeting something he was seeing on Fox News, which was a pastor from Dallas was saying, if they, they try to impeach Trump, we're going to have another civil war and there's going to be a civil war in the country. And so Trump tweeted like an actual, and, like an actual, like, like he said it with the bayonets. And and uh, in, and so Kinzinger says that, you know, this is basically disgusting. And a president of the United States shouldn't be talking about civil war, uh, even flipply. And uh, and and he, I think, articulated what a lot of Republicans feel but are afraid to say. And it's interesting because Kinzinger is someone who was a Trump critic strongly in 2016 and even in 2017. And then it, there was a certain point where he wanted to become Air Force secretary. And so he had kind of muted his rhetoric but about just, Trump for some time. So it's notable now to see him kind of stepping back out. I just think if you're getting in your car on your way home from work and, and, and you're, you're or even if you're outside of Washington and you've worked all day and you're trying to figure out what's coming out of the news of the Beltway. And now you've got politicians talking about a civil war, phone calls, treason. impeachment, treason, all of this stuff. Right. I mean, it's 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 hard to, to even – I don't. I mean, it's important and whatnot, but it's it, it it's just a lot of noise. And almost Anna, I mean, I, I would argue a lot of folks, independent voters, expect a lot of noise coming from President Trump. They don't expect it from Democrats. Is it maybe a miscalculation to get down in the mud? I think this was one you know, explicit calculation from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Right. Is she evaluated this Ukraine allegation as something that was kind of easier to digest for the American people? The the Russia allegations and the obstruction of justice that, was, that were investigated by special counsel Robert Mueller had a lot of names, had a, you know, it was the the president, then candidate, when he was kind of acting as a businessman, kind of acting as a candidate, he had a lot of associates that were doing a lot of his dirty work. But when you look at this example, this Ukrainian phone call, it's the president of the United States speaking with a foreign power, representing the the United States of America, and appearing to abuse his power. So... In some ways, that's easier to explain to the average voter, to the average independent. I think it will get messy for Democrats when you bring in the kind of muddying the waters with Joe Biden and what his son was yeah. doing in Ukraine. Because the Republican senators are literally ready to go because there are questions of nepotism, nepotism, nepotism for Hunter Biden. Are there not? Uh, are there not, James Homan? Absolutely. I mean, this is this is going to 
be a central fault line of the 2020 campaign. And just quickly, McConnell says a quick trial in the Senate. How quick are we talking? And what's the, take us inside McConnell. Yeah, so McConnell has no choice but to bring up impeachment. Right. He, there's a nine-page Senate rule. That's what McConnell was referring to. The thing is, what he could do is bring up impeachment. They have to take it up officially within 24 hours at noon the day after the House carries over the the impeachment they have but 24 hours they have, to take it so up. they have All yeah right. they have but it, but they have to take it up within 24 hours so mcconnell can't kind of hold and wait for a good time to take it up but and when we saw this happen in 1998 republicans could put up a motion a simple majority motion to dismiss the <laughs> the charges and so they mcconnell could take it up and then they could just say you know some republican senator could move to dismiss and they would just need 51 votes they have they have you know, that's kind of senators it, to what, do that. But, but yeah, so they're, 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 it'll be interesting. McConnell will do whatever politically makes sense for McConnell. And remember, Mitch McConnell, who does control the Senate in a lot of ways, up for re-election in Kentucky. I saw some private polling just last week from Republicans that showed Trump vastly more popular in Kentucky than Mitch McConnell. So McConnell wow. has very little incentive to do anything to upset the president. He has every incentive to keep himself tightly knit to the president. And so that that will shape how they approach things. On the other hand, McConnell can't be seen as as sort of shutting down. Uh, I mean, any Mitch kind of McConnell is, or I will thing. just say this, a, a master of, of politics. Uh, there isn't one politician in this town who who is more of a political chess player than Mitch McConnell, bar none, bar none on either side. Coming up, panel stays. James Homan of the Washington Post and Edgerton Bloomberg News Politics Editor. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. We're talking 2020 next. Joe Biden is out with a wealth tax? Well, we'll dive into it coming up. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. For Jacobs just emailed us, uh, just emailed me and said, Steve Bannon's going to be on Fox Business tonight. They're bringing back Bannon, folks. He's going to be talking, I'm assuming, about about this impeachment inquiry. Two all-stars. Two all-stars to help us navigate through today. James Homan, national political correspondent for The Washington Post, author of The Daily 202. Anna Edgerton's here, Bloomberg News politics editor. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. All right, let's, let's talk to... Uh, Let's talk about 2020. Did you guys see Joe Biden? He's flirting with the idea of, I don't even know how they're marketing this. He's flirting with the idea of, of a Wall Street tax, James. Help yeah. me understand this. I thought he was supposed to be the moderate. Well, they they recognize the energy is on the left right now. I've spent a lot of time on the campaign trail recently, and I will tell you that the biggest applause line in Elizabeth Warren's stump speech is when she calls for her 2% wealth tax on people who have assets over $50 million a year. 
And it's not what she's going to use the money to pay for. It's just the idea of, yep. of you know, kind of the pitchfork populism, two cents they, they chant. And, and Bernie Sanders came out last week, said he's going to do a 3% wealth tax to be bigger than Elizabeth Warren's. And that's the zeitgeist on the left right now. There is a lurch to the left. That's the, and, and Biden is worried about being eclipsed in early polling in Iowa and New Hampshire by Warren. So what this is, Kevin, is a trial balloon. They're, yeah, but they're floating it to see kind of like I mean, what, the what's the blowback pop. from the donor community, that kind of thing. James, and, and I know we're all in agreement here, but I, 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 this, this to me sounds like such a political trap for the Biden campaign to walk into. They are never going to outmaneuver Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders on regulating Wall Street. Biden's already you're you're right on that. And you so can't So why are they doing the, this? It, that's that I think that Biden's trying to find some kind of middle ground where he doesn't want to be portrayed by Warren as a corporatist democrat. But they're going to do also, it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And Biden also, you know, Biden is still vulnerable for calling for getting rid of the the Trump tax cuts. He's already going to get attacked on that. And and the, the Biden folks are cognizant of that. They recognize sort of the political catch-22 that they're in. And they're in a, a doubly hard spot now, Kevin, because they have to fend off an, kind of an, a, a, a insurgent war. And then, you know, last the week— The Ukraine oppo Right. Last week, Trump announced—the Trump campaign announced they're going to spend $10 million on ads against Biden. So there are Biden folks. At the same time, they're talking about the wealth tax, also talking about starting a super PAC that can help defend Biden and do attack some of his, his critics on the left. I—, I... Anna Edgerton, I mean, Elizabeth Warren now, if she's not neck and neck with Joe Biden in the polls, she's leading him, him in some polls. Monmouth University has her has her leading Biden in, in Iowa and New Hampshire. At what point do – we? obviously Warren has gained last week, but are there other centrist candidates, whether it's Pete Buttigieg, Cory Booker, who am I forgetting, Kamala Harris, uh, or any one of those other uh, – uh, Beto O'Rourke, any one of those four, could they pop up if, if Biden just starts to – really not be able to continue on? Yeah, one thing we're seeing is I, th- I think it's a little bit late for other candidates to catch momentum. You know, there's no one who really has, you know, it seems like Biden is the centrist, Warren is the progressive, and there's no one else who's really caught up to them yet. And the fact that Biden is presenting this wealth tax now really to me shows that we are in this moment of questioning capitalism and questioning the fairness of our system and how you know maybe even within the confines of capitalism it needs to be regulated taxed somehow rearranged in order to make it more fair to close the income gap part of the problem is that taxes target wages largely capital gains tax is much lower as uh, capital gains are taxed at a much lower rate than wages so if you raise taxes you can't raise income taxes because you're going to get professionals that earn wages. If you want to get the wealthiest individuals, I love you have to you find, taxes. I you love have this. To find another way. Yeah. So you have to find another way to kind of get at that wealth that is largely earned from you know investments and other kind of non-traditional forms of income. This is why Anna Edgerton's an all-star because <laughs> she knows the ins and outs of taxes better than virtually any CPA in the country. All right. Could we, have, we were talking about Elizabeth Warren. Let's take a listen to Elizabeth Warren talking uh, I believe the other day out on the campaign trail about uh, she was in Michigan on Sunday about impeachment. Here's Elizabeth Warren. He now has admitted to soliciting a foreign government to interfere in our 2020 election. That is an impeachable offense. Um, so I am glad for the House to do the investigation. But 
looks pretty clear to me what's going on. He wants to mount a defense. I'm certainly willing to listen to it. But that's the evidence that's in front of us right now. She was the first, uh, she was the first Democratic presidential candidate to call for his impeachment. Elizabeth Warren has her pulse on where the progressive base is, James, and she has for, for, for quite a while. Yeah, well, that's what's interesting is she made those comments in South Carolina, and uh, there was a poll that came out from CNN yesterday that shows she's really struggling in South Carolina to make inroads with African-American voters. She is doing really well among college-educated white voters, lib- white liberals, I should say, but she really is still kind of scary to a lot of moderate Democrats and uh, just is not making getting traction with with african-american base voters and so it is i think she does she does have kind of the zeitgeist of the party right now but she she her she has a challenge too it's not just joe biden and her challenge is is one portraying herself as electable to some she of those was voters. a republican she was a republican not that long ago not that long and ago. And, and, right. and that's and i think but that's her that's her challenge i think one moment where elizabeth warren had a little bit of a misstep is when she actually called for the impeachment of justice kavanaugh i think that was something that's going to turn off a lot of general election voters who are maybe open to her all of her plans you know all of her economic plans you know her talk about economic disparity but when she kind of jumped to the partisan position of wanting to to impeach Kavanaugh before she even had the facts about the new allegations that surfaced. I think I saw a lot of commentary from independent voters who were really turned off by that. She seemed to have this knee-jerk political reaction in a way that undermines kind of her wonky image as someone who has the solutions to most of America's problems. Oh, it's good. And, and I totally agree. But, I, you know, what it was also interesting is there's one of my favorite Barack Obama quotes from the last few years is he was quoted, I think, for a book where he said, you look, Elizabeth Warren is a politician just like all of us, too. And it was really interesting. She stumbled last week also in New Hampshire. A Washington Post reporter asked uh, whether it, under her ethics plan, she would allow her vice president's son to be on the board of directors of a Ukrainian company. And she stammered, very unlike her. She's very usually you know, message disciplined. And she said, ah, I'm, I don't know what my plan says. I'm not familiar with that part of my plan. And, and she really struggled and then said no and then sort of said yes. She still doesn't have a very good answer. And it's a reminder that she's a politician. And, and, the, and, and so some of this – But she it's hasn't also been a reminder that she doesn't before. want to go after Bi- – I mean, right. yeah, I, that was a great report by her. Who, who did that? Annie Linsky. Yeah, Annie. Uh, she's awesome. We got to get her – she got to come on. Um, but that was a great, great moment. And she was at the Bo- – I believe she used to be a reporter at the Boston Globe, That's right? That's right. Yeah, so she knows. She's like – you know, all-star warm-up. All right, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Uh, I can preview this for me. I mean, MBS was on 60 Minutes with CBS. We'll dive into that. Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by James Homan, National Political Correspondent for The Washington Post. He also writes The Daily 202 for The Post. Be sure to check that out. And Anna Edgerton is here, Bloomberg News Politics Editor. All right, we've talked enough about impeachment. We've talked enough about 2020. What else is going on, James Homan? What's on your radar? Yeah, so Kevin, today the... Some of the other big news that sort of has gotten lost is Chris Collins, a congressman from upstate New York, represents the Buffalo area, resigned or is going to resign uh, effective tomorrow as part of a plea deal 
related to insider trading charges that came up. He uh, dumped big Trump an, guy. He big. He was so he was the first member of Congress to endorse Trump in 2016, and. Uh, the uh, he actually, according to prosecutors, he was at the White House picnic. He got word that this Australia biotech company he had geared and pushed his friends and family toward there. Some big trial had failed. So he called his son from the White House lawn during a picnic Trump was having, told him to dump the stock. The son did, uh, who also has been charged, uh, according to prosecutors. That's that's what happened. And so uh, it's it's a big deal because it's, you know we heard some sound earlier this hour of Trump saying we need to drain the swamp. That's why I'm here to drain the swamp. And Collins's guilty plea uh, after saying he was going to fight the charges to the end is a reminder that the swamp has not been drained. And he's out. I mean, wow, that's that's wow. Wow, that's a great one. Yeah, Blinken, you'll miss that. Uh, Anna Edgerton, what's on your radar? Sorry, I'm still looking for impeachment news. I'm really looking to see who from the State Department is going to show up for the depositions and if there's any kind of executive privilege asserted over the testimony. I think there will be. I mean, they're going to have to. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, it's it's a hard – it's a hard line for the for the White House. The more they stonewall and the more they try to block what people can say, the more they open the, they open themselves up to charges of obstruction of Congress, and that could be one of the articles of impeachment. So they're kind of have this newly de- delicate ban- dance between allowing testimony to go forward and trying to you know use all of the administrative ways they can to to restrict what can be said. Do you think it gets to the point where? Trump, President Trump has to give a national type of address akin to what President Clinton had to do. Doesn't he use Twitter for that? <laughs> no, but that's a really but, good question. But, 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 but like, does he want to use a, a serious, a true? No, that's very true. But does he want to give a serious type of, uh, you know, every network cuts into it with regard? He, he has he has disliked the sitting behind yeah. the desk in the Oval Office approach. I think Trump. But absolutely, if Kissinger and the like I, start from the Republicans start to continuously hammer on, hey, take a different tone when you're on the phone with a foreign leader. Maybe not a good time to play Fox News pundit. Then the, the independents might want to hear that. I do know from reporting that the Trump campaign, that Trump wants to get out there and do more rallies. Mm-hmm. The White House is preparing to launch an impeachment war room, yeah. and they're going to. Uh, they're, they're, Trump wants to be out there punching back, having having big rallies. All right, what was on my radar was uh, 60 Minutes. They kicked off their 52nd season premiere on CBS, and Mohammed bin Salman. That was the big interview with uh, correspondent Nora O'Donnell. Take a listen to what MBS had to say about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Here it is. This was a heinous crime, but I take full responsibility as a leader in Saudi Arabia, especially since it was committed by individuals working for the Saudi government. So he's saying that he takes full responsibility. He also touched on uh, the uh, September attack on Saudi oil facilities, which he said the attack didn't hit the heart of the Saudi energy industry, but rather the heart of the global energy industry. Uh, and and I, this question was great by Nora O'Donnell because uh, she asked him whether or not there's a there's a female activist who had been tortured in a Saudi prison named Luhain al-Hathulal. And... Uh, he says, quote, if this is correct, it is very heinous. Islam forbids torture and the Saudi laws forbid torture. Human conscience forbids torture. And I will personally follow up on this matter. Anna Edgerton, did he do what he did? MBS do what he needed to do to maybe get his reputation back on the right track or maybe on better firm footing now? It certainly seemed like he was speaking, you know, especially to the U.S. investment community to to make sure that it's not damaging the relationship that Saudi Arabia has with the rest of the world. Um, as you were saying this and all the things that, you know, 
uh, the crown prince either knew or didn't know, I'm thinking to myself, I wish I could see the transcript of his conversation with our president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think this week is the one-year anniversary of my colleague uh, Jamal Khashoggi's murder, and I don't think we can forget him, and we shouldn't forget him, and, and there really still hasn't been accountability for the regime in Riyadh. Very, very, very true factual reporting from James Homan of the Washington Post. So appreciative of you joining us. He's the national political correspondent for the Washington Post and the author of The Daily 202. I've been an admirer of his since I looked up to him at Politico, where I used to work, and Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor, also tax wonk at heart. We appreciate you breaking down all of that. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.